Moving date confirmed. I don't think I've ever seen a more horrible email in my life. And right now, as I'm reading over the subject line in my work cubicle, I want to sink into the floor and disappear. I've been working in this office for a couple of years now. I answer the phone with a standard-issue headset and respond to emails from customers explaining how to download their product when it doesn't work on the first click. It's a simple job, and honestly, I could do it in my sleep, but it suits me fine. It pays my bills, keeps me in a relatively comfortable apartment, and I can still go out and buy cheesecake whenever the craving hits. The problem is that our office building is nothing more than a glorified warehouse with shoddy heating and not in the best of neighborhoods. At least, that's what the higher-ups have been saying. I personally don't mind the space, or rather, I've become accustomed to it. It's old and unassuming, and just enough room for the cubicles, bathrooms, and a break room consisting of microwaves and a large, shared fridge. I like all the nooks and crannies where co-workers gather to chat and stretch those extra break minutes. I love that it's not hard to find a quiet area for lunch, and when a call gets heated, there's always an unused cubicle to buffer out the need to raise my voice. Sadly, to the higher-ups, it's outdated. Not like the lavish office buildings with the nature walks and glass doors. They've been talking about moving for two years, and we, the lowly employees, never believed them. After all, they still hadn't fixed the vending machine in the kitchen. But no, now the day is here. With a worried hand, I click on the email and let it take up my computer screen. Most of it is promises of something better, the standard in any corporate email. I scan it a couple of times before I find what I'm looking for. There, right at the bottom. The date. Two weeks from now, we'll be packing up our things in shifts to move to a new location. I guess they've already got some of the cubicles set up, and it'll be a seamless transition, or so they say. They're moving us in waves so that there's no interruption of service. More info to follow. I wonder what wave I'll be in. Will I be one of the first? Forced to work in a mostly abandoned office building with air that runs too loudly through the vents and stinks of unused dust? Will I get to hear all the creaks and groans before the place is stuffed full of power suits and laptop bags? The idea of being alone in that building makes me sick to my stomach, almost to the point of running to the bathroom and vomiting what's left of my microwavable meal. Being alone would mean being alone with it. That thought is almost enough to make me quit. I suppose I sound pretty irrational right now, which is to be expected. I've never been good at explaining this fear, and it's lost me more opportunities than I care to remember. Unfortunately, the brain doesn't work like that. And soon I'm recalling a handful of breakups, ruined friendships, and an old roommate that insisted I leave. Cheaper rent be damned. Deep breath. Here it goes. I'm afraid of workout areas. It's not the huge machines, or the loud noises, or even the overly happy trainers in their matching leotards. Most of that isn't even part of the equation. I suppose, technically, it's not actually the workout area itself. I'm stalling. Not touching the real problem. It's not the workout area. It's the locker room behind it. And what lives inside. Without fail, all the newer offices have one an exercise room tucked in the corner on the first floor. They come equipped with fancy machines and flat-screen TVs along the walls, all leading to two doors in the back, labeled with those gendered stick figures. See me? Stalling again. I should be talking about the locker room. That's where it lives, sitting and waiting. Regular bathrooms aren't good enough. It's easy to dodge there, no chance of being near a drain when it catches your scent. 
no chance of it picking me out from the line of other men in the office who used it before and after me. I'm just one of them, you see. Nothing special or important. Just avoid the stalls with the drain in the floor and you're all good. Oh, and get off the toilet before you flush, just to be safe. No problem. Locker rooms are different. Locker rooms have this specific smell. A smell of sweat that can tell you who's been there. You think I'm lying? Try it sometime. Walk into a workout room in a locker area and close your eyes. You can almost smell the people walking by. Their sweat and deodorant stinking the whole place up in pockets of mint, rose, and spring Irish scent. No hiding there. It knows what I smell like. And there's more drains, one in each shower. Sometimes larger, too. Just enough for some light to shine down. Just large enough for a long, spiny body to slither out. More chances for it to slide out and come up behind you when you least expect. In high school, it was there. Hissing from the back of unused lockers, whispering through the small, tilted metal slats to come closer. One of the other jocks listened. The locker room was taped off for a week after that. Sports canceled and whispers of issues washing out the blood. In my first apartment, I'd see it slithering beneath the grates in the floor, chuckling when I'd stumble back in surprise. I know it left those little three-fingered footprints all over the tiled floor, on purpose, just to show how close it got to my bedroom. And the job before this? I had seen it duck into a shower when our front desk attendant had just finished her workout, complaining about a pain in her neck. She'd left sick around lunchtime and I wasn't far behind, packing up my desk and jumping in my car before my manager could catch me. That had been an awkward conversation on the drive home, but I told myself it was worth it. The last thing I needed was for that thing to start following me home again and whispering my name every time I was near a drain pipe or grate. Once it found me, it was everywhere, and I couldn't get away without a drastic move. I had managed to shake it for the last two years, and hadn't heard it at all. Taking showers in a bathtub with a closed drain and only letting the water rush down when I'm done and have stepped out. Asking the rental office of the new place if they had any locations without a workout facility. Being comforted in the lack of exercise facilities at work. It's odd, but it's all for my own safety. Even if no one will ever understand. I tried once and it backfired spectacularly. Just imagine being that weirdo who tried to tell your girlfriend there were voices coming from the apartment down the hall where the water never seemed to stop running. They'll never know what it's like to have that voice whispering in your ear, just out of sight. To hear it giggling gleefully when you find your locker filled with what can only be described as blood-tented slime dripping down the walls and leaking across your belongings. They'll never know the sheer terror of looking down in the shower to see an eye gazing up at you through the grate in the floor, wide and unblinking as you're completely naked and exposed, a single, thin finger curling out of the metalwork. I close the email quickly, deleting it in haste. I have two weeks to decide my fate because I know it's waiting for me, resting in the plumbing and pipes of the new building. Reluctantly, I put my headset back on and try to go back to work. I'm already planning my new job search. I hear California is hiring in my field. Maybe I should just uproot and go to another state. I mean, there's only one of this creature, right? Can't possibly follow me over state lines, right? Right?
I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum. You're not, like, freaked out or anything this time? Oh, I'm very freaked out. I thought I'd just kind of let my voice speak for itself. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm <laughs> Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum. And this is Ghoul Intentions. <laughs> good? Do you like that? It's good. I like it. <laughs> Today's episode is titled, Not a Feather Then He Fluttered, which, as fans of Edgar Allan Poe will note, is from The Raven. Nevermore! <laughs> Uh, we chose that title because today we are focusing on fictional stories right. submitted to us by uh, our writer friends out there in, in on the internet. In submission land. In submission land? Yes. That submission land sounds like a really fun place for people into that kind of thing. Anyway. Oh. Uh, this one, <laughs> really quickly, <laughs> is titled In the Pipes Below, and that's published in the anthology Little Creepers by Jessica Walsh. Thank you for sending that to us, Jessica. Yes. Well I done. Am, I will I never look freaked. at a bathroom drain the same way again. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course... I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Did you have anything to add to your? Voice? Oh, I was gonna never say more. about. <laughs> I just big... wanted to squeak never or squawk nevermore. That's really why You're we have this You're very good at it. Title. If you ever in my in my vision of that poem now, it's you sitting on the bust of Pallas above the door, just going nevermore, nevermore, nevermore. Uh, <laughs> I you know that poem is great, and everyone. Um, Everyone's had to read it in high school English, or some people love it, some people hate it. I think it's gorgeous. And for all that it's about death and longing, and obviously the narrator is longing for um, a love that died, uh, I also think it's a pretty powerful exploration of writer's block uh, when you <laughs> yeah. think about it. So it seemed only appropriate to have it uh, the name of an episode where we're dealing with writer's submissions on fictitious stories. Yes. And, and now... the sort of darker side of inspiration. Yes, we wanted to. We've we've had so many wonderful submissions, mm -hmm. but there were uh, several that are in published works or right. are clearly written uh, by a writer who's inspired by the supernatural. Not necessarily something that is a true story, and we they were so good. We really wanted to to read some of those for you. So this is not an every time kind of thing, but every once in a while we'll yeah. we'll read some of the good every ones. Every once that, in a while that we get. That and we and who's enjoy. to say what those? You know, we say that they're fictitious, but you know, in, in the world of the paranormal, that's a very contentious term, isn't it? Because even a slightly fictitious story could possibly be inspired by true events, by certainly by real fears. Right. I mean, in this story, in the pipes below, like who hasn't, especially as a kid, had that fear that something was down in that drain, that something mm. was looking at, because it's it's literally the underworld. Right. <laughs> it's interesting how that fear that's been with us forever still, still exists in some ways. You know, my dog, uh, my little French bulldog is terrified of nothing except for storm drains. And it is hilarious. It is, because he's such a little tank of a dog. Nothing really gets to him. He's just not interested in things. Uh, thunder, fireworks. Right. Doesn't respond. But but if he sees, if in his field of vision, a block away, a storm drain, he just, he cannot be moved. It's ridiculous. And we've tried everything. We've tried to counter condition him with like chicken or whatever. And and part of me, after all these years, is starting to get freaked out. Like, what is he seeing what that I'm know? not seeing? Is it, well, is it Pennywise? It's is it... definitely Pennywise. <laughs> I don't... I, don't want I mean, it. it's definitely Pennywise. Well, is it the Tim Curry Pennywise? Because I think I'd be a little more excited about that. I mean, I mean, the latest Pennywise, the Skarsgård Pennywise, is terrifying. Right. But I love Tim Curry. If I ever saw Tim Curry in a storm drain, I would stop and talk to him. And be like, "What's up, Tim?" I'd be like, "Tim, oh my God, you're such an inspiration." <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, 
Now, you're going to write a blog about this. Yes. Too, so people, yes. if you want to check out the blog, uh, yeah. he, he will have something on I'll have my Michael's it. musings on yes. Edgar Allan Poe and the Raven. And yeah, it'll be some, you know, my typical wordy bullshit. Yeah. It's what, I'm, it's what I do. If you read, when you read Nevermore, because he'll have the whole poem there, just yes. read it with me going, Nevermore! I may not have the whole poem there because it's a it's long, a long poem. poem. I may just have like a few snippets of it. They the rest of you, you can there. go look look it up. Maybe we'll have a link to okay. it. We'll there see. We'll there see. But uh, yeah, Raven. Mm. It's a great. I, can I, I wonder if I can still. I can recite most of it from memory, but I won't do it right now. You did it the other night. I Jack did. Jack was in awe. <laughs> He's, He's like, like, you just said all that, man. That was great. <laughs> I was like, I, I did. I just. <laughs> reams of verse in my head knocking around. It's why I'm not good at most other things. Because most of my mental real estate is taken up by literature and poems and ghost stories. Which is helpful at trivia. It's very helpful, but I think the only time it's helpful is when I'm doing this podcast at trivia. Or when I'm just bored, but, you know, ask me to recite, you know, bits of the Iliad and I'm totally there. But I I can't change a tire. Oh, I can change a tire. <laughs> oh, well, thank God. So we're fine. We're going to be okay. Uh, did you... I was thinking too about the <clears throat> the whole pipes and things. You know, you think of the big shower scene in um, Psycho, and oh, yeah. there's there's all those fears of showers. Even now, it's like, you know, do you, if you're spooked mm -hmm. and you're washing your hair, there is no more terrifying scenario because do you leave your eyes open and get soap in it, and then you can't open your eyes because your eyes are burning, <laughs> oh, my God. or do you rinse the, your hair and keep your eyes closed, knowing certain death is going to be there when you open your eyes again? That's terrifying. I... <laughs> I mean, when you're when you're taking a bath, when or when you're showering, when you're in the bathroom, in in general, you're you're vulnerable. So you know, vulnerable because you are either naked or at least partially naked. I feel uh, like if you're in the shower, you should probably be naked. You should be fully naked. But if you're just on the toilet, you know, you you you're not fully naked unless you're weird. Yeah. I know some. I well, that's you know, every now and again, as a as a man, I'll walk into the men's bathroom and there's every now and again you'll see a guy that's like you know way too old to do this, but he's got he's at the urinal, but he's got his pants all the way down to his ankles. I'm um, like, what are you, what? five? Like, yeah. no one does that after a certain... It's so weird to me. It's very disconcerting, and no one wants to pee anywhere near that person. But that's a different kind of terror. I think... <laughs> <laughs> it's real, though. It's funny. Did you know, interestingly enough, that in uh, ghost storytelling traditions and in the traditions of, of thoughts on the paranormal, that pipes and running water tend to figure largely in it. In folklore, if you are, say, on the road at night and being pursued by a wraith or something, you can cross a bridge and they can't follow you. Right. Because it, the uh, running water represents a barrier. In places like Key West, where Robert the Doll, one of my favorite uh, ghosties, comes from. Weirdo. I love Robert. He's amazing. You leave him alone. I'm not um, saying he's a weirdo. Oh, I'm a weirdo. Okay, I accept. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. As long as you leave Robert <laughs> out of it. Um, <laughs> I would never. He is my friend, sir. and I love him. But in weirdo. Key West, and in several, actually, I think several places in the Keys, if you look at the older houses, uh, they all have um, a certain shade of blue painted into the ceilings of their verandas and it's called like sea mist blue or there's a name for it that relates to the sea and it's it's a tradition to uh, paint the ceilings of your porches that color because it confuses the ghosts it'll keep the ghosts out because they think it's running water and they can't cross it so they stay away it's like ghost repellent um yeah. you know and i myself have i had a friend growing up who had an apartment and most of the the stuff that happened there there was quite a bit 
It's quite active. I'll have to tell that story in another podcast. I do that a lot. I, I, I hint at stories to be told, but that's because I want you guys to keep listening. But <laughs> uh, most of the stuff in her apartment centered around the wall that most of the piping went through. So then that's the question is, is does the water, can they not cross the water or is the water like their conduit? Like, it's the water bringing them to you. I don't know. I mean, if they avoid running water, maybe it's because it it's like stepping into a vortex for them. Like maybe if they if they get to running water, it, it rather than being a barrier, it's just they don't know what they're gonna get. It's like stepping into a portal where they're like, ah, oh, I don't want to do that. So it's you know what I mean. Right. So may, I mean, I I have no idea. I just know that there's like long been a tradition things. of running water being this kind of natural barricade, or the this kind of locus of hauntings. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like for some reason. these ghosts just need to make it. They need to make up their mind. Make a decision about how you feel as well on water as a whole, and stick to that shit. So we know what to do. That's it's only I, fair. It's only fair. That's also why islands are often have so many ghost stories attached to them. Be it you know Hawaii or the Keys or, or what have you. Like there's so many ghost stories on any island I've ever been to. Uh, and they'll, the locals will insist it's because they're surrounded by water and the ghosts can't go anywhere, so they mm -hmm. stick around. Isn't that right. interesting? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. But then you have stories of, of haunted boats. Yeah, but they can't get off. You know, maybe that's why they're on the boat. I don't know. I don't know. It's, but water, but water definitely, water and pipes definitely have it played a, a part. part. It's really interesting. I, you know, I well, think... water is one of those things like mm. forests, right? Mm -hmm. It is a different world. I know the first time I went snorkeling, I had a minor freak out because that was not my world. And I was existing in these other creatures' world, and they got real close to my face, and I did not enjoy it. I have since overcome my fear of fish, but... <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of terrifying life in the ocean yes, without the need to add any paranormal to it. We don't I know. Mean, there's like a whole world. And you have to think, before the advent of airplanes, um, the only way to get uh, across the ocean was to take a boat. And so for most people, for generations, I mean, for thousands of years, the ocean was probably seen the way we think of as outer space. It's just this utter... I still feel like the ocean... Chaotic, you know, it's just this utter wilderness of, like, you know, there is nothing there, but you, it's the only way to traverse, it's the only way, the only way to get where you're going is to traverse it. And, of course, getting on a boat, there was a risk. You're going to be on that boat for weeks, uh, and anything months can happen. Even? Months, disease, storms. Lots of vomiting. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's interesting that we tend to associate ghosts and and you know ghostly things, death and all that, with water because I think water was is a natural barrier for human beings as well. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. crossing a river is not easy unless there's a bridge. Um, you know, crossing the, the an ocean is not something <laughs> you can do without a lot of help. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm fascinated by that. And maybe, so maybe uh, ghosts and their relationship to water is something they bring with them from life. You know, maybe right. ghosts, maybe ghosts have their own superstitions. Well, I wish they would write a story about it so we'd know what it was. You have another, you have a story you want to read I do. This is uh, by Melissa Burgum. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She actually wrote one of the stories from our last episode but that was a true story this is actually an excerpt from a novel she's working on called guide wind screamed through the open window as my sister alana and i drove down the empty early morning highway this side of 3 a.m was not preferred iowa was too flat too filled with corn it was all we'd seen for the past two hours Okay, to be fair, we saw a cow. 
but it was in the corn, so I didn't know if that completely counted. Probably should have alerted the farmer of their escape, but who knew where the hell the farm actually was in this mess of corn? So we kept driving. Where were we going at this disgusting time of day, you may wonder? Well, Taggerville, Iowa. A podunk town with barely enough people in it to count as incorporated. As for the why, I guess the easiest answer was work. Not that our job was a typical one. Spirits, ghosts, past lives waiting to be reborn, whatever you want to call them, they exist. Sometimes they get stuck or lost. Some weren't ready yet, for whatever reason burned within them. If they stay too long in this world between, it can twist them. Their intentions, like watching over a loved one, can fracture. Distorted by that toxic space of un-not-living-but-not-quite-dead. That's where I came in. I didn't know if there were others like me. I'm guessing there were, but few of us. I hadn't tried forming any meetups, so I wasn't qualified to answer that one. What I knew was I could get into that space between. I could help them find the door they needed to reach wherever it was their next journey may take them. I guess you could say I was a modern-day Charon, helping them cross the River Styx. That was as close as I could explain it anyway, and that was my job. I'd guide the ghosts, rid the living of the remnants of an individual's history, and we get paid for it. Alana's job was to keep me alive afterward and handle the customers. I tolerated little from those still breathing. We were still working the kinks of the business out, only doing it now two months. We'd had odd jobs here and there, some were plain disappointments of people not understanding houses settle and the like. Five miles from town, I heard it. A shriek from the spirit that got us hired. There's pain in that spirit's call. Alana didn't hear it, not a muscle tensed. Her head bobbed the tune because for her, nothing unnatural happened. She was normal. Normal-ler. She chose to deal with my oddities. I'm sure it rubbed off on her. For the spirit's cries to be audible to me from all the way out here, it meant there was some serious anguish attached. Something happened to you. Something tragic and terrible. Even if we didn't get paid for doing this, I still would and did do it. No one deserves to wander this way. The dim white numbers of the digital clock struck 324 as we pulled up to 549 Cooley Street, an ironic name for a street in a flat-ass state. The hum of untamed energy of the stricken specter rippled from the house. I drew in a steady breath. Opening the door, I felt its grief wash over me. Nothing good happened here. Alana cut the engine as I reached the concrete stoop. It was a small enough town here that no one locked their doors, even at night. Our contractors had said they weren't staying there anymore. The smell was getting to be too much, and it was getting too spooky to stand being in there. Their creative wording, not mine. 
My hand hovered by the doorknob when a screen door clacked shut from the opposite side of the street, and a man's voice cut through the uneasy silence draped around this house. Are you the Guiding Hands Company? My sister stepped out of the car, her chipper voice bringing some warmth to the area. Yes, are you Mr. Winslow? You sure do cut it close. His voice wasn't necessarily annoyed, but it wasn't filled with cheer like Alana's. I didn't turn around as the droll conversation continued. Abigail, they're here. Is it all right if my sister goes in? Alana and her etiquette. That Winslow man made a noise that sounded like an affirmative, which was enough for me, and I entered the house. The moment my foot struck the floorboard, the house shuddered. I don't reach for the lights. I'd go that route if I felt the spirit was being coy with me. For now, I'd stick to the main room. I'm here to help, I whispered, my gentleness sequestered for spirits and spirits alone. From what they'd reported, every morning for the past three weeks at exactly 3.28 a.m., the funky smell would start and they could hear odd noises. I tipped my watch to me, the fragile red numbers glared. 3.27. Any second now. The heat hit me first, and then my sense of smell was assaulted with foulness. They'd said there was an unpleasant odor. Burned flesh falls several categories beyond unpleasant. Just saying. I knew how the sorry soul story ended, and it was not pain-free. Please come out, I encouraged. Let me ease your suffering. Pops and hisses from an echo of the fire here long before answered my call. Non-existent smoke tried to fill my lungs and smother me. Phantom wood splintered and crashed to the ground. Rising from the floorboards, first a hand clawed its way upward, then the other, until the spirit pulled himself into view. His charred frame still looked as if it was ablaze and the flames flickering around it. As I stepped toward him, he shuffled my way. He sought relief as much as I wanted to give it. And then our hands locked. With the spirit still holding on, part of me, my own spirit I assumed, turned to a door that was opening in the wall. Light emanated from the eternal door. May you find peace. I used my other hand to show the entity he should cross into the door. Once it crossed, the door shut, and I was being pulled back into my body like someone was pulling a rope tied around me. This part was the worst of it all. Every atom of my body screaming in agony at this divide. Being burned alive, slowly was the closest thing I could think of to compare it to. Unseemly comparison given the circumstances. And the longer I lingered, the worse it was. Helping someone find their afterlife left an imprint on me. One where I would see their last moments alive, sometimes their whole lives. This happened the second I was back. My world shifts as I'm propelled into his life. I wake not to the shrill of an alarm, but to the bite of smoke filling my nostrils. 
Jumping from bed, I run downstairs to witness flames fast consuming my house. I hesitate too long on the stairs, making the mistake not to turn and run back upstairs and jump out of a window. That path of escape is removed the moment fire creeps up the side of the stairwell and onto the stairs behind me. The front is also blocked by the flames. If I can make it to the back, I'll be okay, I tell myself. Dodging droppings of fire, I get as far as the doorway to the kitchen when I hear a cracking that overpowers the roads from the fire. I'm pinned to the ground as the heat fuses to my skin. I can't feel from the middle of my back down. I'm going to die. I've always known the eventuality of it. I just thought I'd have longer. My gaze wanders around what's left of my house, now charring. Honestly, there's a grotesque beauty in it all, as what once were possessions of various values are now all ash, one and the same. Smoke fills my lungs, and as the oxygen-deprived blood pumps through my body, further suffocating me, my eyes rest on where the coffee table had been, and where the unplugged smoke detector and spent battery once were. My greatest mistake. When the images of his death dissipated, I whipped out a doggy bag. I always had a fresh one on me, as the bile burning in my stomach rose. What snacks I'd eaten on the trip here now floated unceremoniously into the bag, a phenomenon that happened every time. With my stomach emptied, I twisted the bag shut. I'd have to find a place to toss it. I was surprised I had teeth or an esophagus left after all the torture I put them through. My final act before leaving the house was to pop a mint in my mouth. We'd need to find a discreet place soon so that I could be bandaged up. There was another cost to aiding the spirits crossing. Their physical pain had to go somewhere, the law of thermodynamics, I suppose, and left me with otherworldly wounds and permanent scarring. A sharp sting seared its way down my side. Warm wetness bloomed. It wouldn't be long before the rest of my supernatural markers yawned open once more. I'd paint my clothes red within ten minutes. This was why I always wore black. So that's that Ooh. story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. Wow, from, from the water to the flames. Wow, right. that's, a, that's a nice nice juxtaposition. Oh, yeah, what a what a wonderful, like, vivid image of what it must be like for someone that has to, you know, guide yeah. spirits. And it's know? on an extreme level. Sure. Um, but, you know, you never know for people who have this, quote, gift, <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. that experience is really like for them. And, you know... Something in this as well that was interesting to me was the idea that a spirit, after enough time, becomes twisted. And we've discussed this quite a bit, but yeah. after long enough, if they're watching over family or they feel like I have to stay, do they lose their way? Do you know? Dis do they become resentful of resentful the living, you know? or, or of their whatever they've decided to stay for? Yeah. Or, or, they or just, confused. Yeah, they just get confused. I mean, because there's got to be sometimes the way certain ghosts seem to behave based on, you know, what uh, people observe. It, it almost seems like some ghosts 
or a great many of them actually are caught in some kind of dementia. Mm -hmm. They seem confused themselves and some, maybe they are, it, you know, I guess it depends on what state they were in when they died and how much of that mental state, you know, goes behind. Cause I mean, it's one thing, you know, there's this view we have of death that, you know, you go to heaven or that, you know, the afterlife is, you know, you, you sort of pop into it at your best. You know, mm -hmm. that once you die, you, you know, you're young again, you know, you, you, you're fine, you're at your best, you, whatever you lost in life, you regain it. But that doesn't seem to be the case with ghosts in that kind of weird in-between place where ghosts seem to occupy. They seem to go into it, they seem to be stuck, their final form is whatever they their left ultimate in. ultimate final And form. that's gotta be, yeah, but that's gotta suck, you know? Like, if you, if you were stuck in, with all the pain you had emotionally, right now in your life like say you're going through something really difficult and you've died tomorrow and there was never and you no longer had the opportunity to process or work through what was going on in your head mm -hmm. you're now kind of stuck on that sort of emotional loop yeah it's got to twist you even if you're surrounded by loved ones but not being able to interact with them it's got to really got to prey on you after a mm -hmm. while well and you think you know. too about the there's as many different types of ghosts as there are people correct you know um Michael and I are not huge fans of demon stories because yeah. it seems as though perhaps this isn't a demon, it's just a dead asshole. <laughs> well, I don't I kind of ascribe to to the older sort of Greek Socratic view of, of demons or daemons as being spirits of the air that are neither good nor bad. They're just they're they're neutral and mm -hmm. they're they're more like muses but, but that's that's different i just i don't ascribe i'm not right. a, a religious person by any means so i don't ascribe to the typical christian view of of demons uh but i do believe in you know ghosts that are bad that are right. evil but and just like be i believe nasty. in people that are evil and nasty and... well and you think too think of it this way you have uh in the internet or texting, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You're texting back and forth. And we all know those stories of how things get completely blown out of proportion. You didn't mean it the way that it came across. <laughs> Someone gets their feelings hurt. It's very, very confusing. And that's just over a very clear written word of a language right. most people are supposed right. to speak. This is, you all right there? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, maybe I do believe in demons. <laughs> you said demon jump out of your body. <laughs> Be gone. Sorry, I take it back, everyone. I take it back. Um, Where was I? You're talking about, uh, you know, when you're on the internet trying to, like, oh. you know, make your case or something, on, you know, in yeah. the clear written word. You have the, the spiritual side, which is not anywhere near as clear as a text. So, no. you know, can attention-getting be something that's much scarier than, than what you thought it was going to be? Is this, is this person just a previous asshole that is continuing to be an asshole? We don't, we don't know, and I feel like we both feel like that's, that's acute, that's and given I'm... to demons unfairly because not that I right. care about the feelings of a demon, but <laughs> if there I, are even such things, I feel like demons. it's giving them more power than they necessarily have. Well, I think too that being a ghost, and you know, someone just clutched her pearls because I said that. Oh, you know, someone, several people. <laughs> I'm probably sorry. Clutched their pearls. I'm so sorry. Um, and crossed themselves or whatever, and, right. and you know, and God bless us, everyone. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you know, ghosts, if. Um, I mean, I, I don't exactly, I'll be honest, I don't know how I feel about ghosts. I don't, I believe in the phenomenon. I believe the stories that we're told uh, that we read and stuff, I mean, most of them anyway. And, you know, because I've had enough experiences myself to know that, you know, there's more in heaven and earth and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I, I don't, 
know that it's an, you know that it's an extension of what we are i don't know that it's the afterlife i have no idea it certainly could right. be and that's one interpretation and if that's the case i imagine being a ghost if you are the spirit of your former of your former self caught between planes how lonely that's got to be because mm -hmm. you're so isolated and and i i'm a big believer that isolation and solitude tends to bring out the worst in everybody mm -hmm. we are social creatures and in, if we're suddenly not, if we're not able to make contact with people in our day-to-day -day lives, it's hard. You know, we start, you know, the little voices in our heads that tell us that we're nothing or whatever get to us after a while. We, we you know, the depression is worse. Your anxieties are worse. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I know that's the case for me when I'm not around people, when I sequester myself. Um, it's usually the worst decision I could make. Sometimes, <laughs> I mean, sometimes you have to recharge, of course. Uh, right. Granted, that's but different. but I'm that's a social person. Hiding. Yeah, that's not hiding. And and but when I do that, it's a very natural, you know, impulse to have. I always, always, am worse for that decision. Mm -hmm. And being a goat, when you have um, when you're forced to do that, but that's self-imposed isolation. Right. If uh, at least to some extent, if you are a ghost, and technically speaking, that's not self-imposed isolation. It's like being in a foreign country where you don't speak the language, mm -hmm. and 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 also you're invisible. Right. <laughs> you know. So I guess being limited in what you can do, uh, you know, to communicate with people, and to know that whatever you do, you're probably gonna freak that person out. Yeah. Like how lonely is that gotta be? So eventually, I think you'd get to a place. I know I would that I'd be like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna have a little fun, and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess with people, or I'm, I'm, gonna, well be, I'm gonna be mean spirited because I'm just so angry mm -hmm. at this feeling of solitude that well, I can't break. Well, you never break. know the circumstances. So you know, the, yeah. there's a lot of the theory of if there's been a violent death, there will be a ghost, or a lot mm -hmm. of times mm -hmm. there's a ghost. And I think that you know, you you take humanity plays a part in that and PTSD is a real thing. Oh, yes. So if there's not time to deal with that mm -hmm. before the passing, maybe after you have not just a spirit that's like what happened, but there's some PTSD there, there's some trauma there, which can lead to a confusing, right. a confusing and, way and, of looking at things. And, and then also at the, on the other side is there are, you know, I know a lot of people are, have visits from family members mm -hmm. and I, do, I think that there's there's got to be more than one place. There's got to be the lonely place that you speak of, but there's got to be the other where they can go be with who they're with. Like visiting hours. Vi yes, like visiting hours and then come see you when you need them yeah. because you, you also get the, the you know, death deathbed where they die and come back to life where they said they've seen someone who's like, it's not your time yet and it's their whole family mm -hmm. right there saying, we're not ready for you and all of those things. and. And they've done studies, actually, where they're completely brain dead and they show no life signs whatsoever and they come back with these stories. And it's where does this come from if you are brain dead? How is how are you still functioning? You know, OK, all this actually makes me think of a book um, by the uh, she was a Swiss American psychiatrist and her name was Elizabeth Kubler Ross. She wrote a book titled On Death and Dying which, uh, grim title, I know, but it was a book. But if of... that's the topic, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Only, you can only judge a book um, by its cover. She was a pioneer <laughs> in the field It's of... true, that's why it has a cover. How do you know what's inside it if you don't read the cover? I mean, that's true. Sometimes you can judge a little think... bit of a book by the I cover. I think it's a terrible but... analogy. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, it's, she is, she was a pioneer in the field of 
hospice care, meaning uh, before she wrote this book, before she, she compiled these years and years and years of study and, uh, of, uh, that she had done with her colleagues, uh, uh, the medical community's relationship to death was very different than it is now. If you were sadly at a hospital and you were dying, um, it was it was rare for you to even be told by doctors that was what was happening. They would just kind of sequester you. The family may or may not be told, uh, you know, or to, they're, they with, could, you. Or they're with you, the whatever. Wild, but yeah. it was very, you know, you tended to be just kind of off because doctors felt, well, you know, they're dying. They're, they're out of our hands. They're no longer our patient because we can't cure them. They're out of our jurisdiction. And so they were just the dead or the, not the dead yet, but the dying were just completely forgotten. And so they tended to die very isolated and very lonely, and, and so it was very sad. So um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote this book and with such compassion argued for the need of, you know, the dying to be looked after and, and taken seriously. And to, you know, basically she, the, the sum of her argument is, yes, doctors, the dying are still your patients. And you need to be there with them so that they can leave this world as, as calmly and as serenely as humanly possible, given their circumstances. And it's because of her that our whole relationship to death in the West it was, was revolutionized because of her work. What people don't know about just her... Just real quick, hospice nurses are angels. Real life angels. Absolutely. I just wanted to say that. Okay. They absolutely <laughs> are. And, and oh, my God. Uh, what people don't know about her is that she wrote other works with a colleague of hers that focused less on the medical side of things and more on the spiritual. She herself, uh, if I remember correctly, was not a religious person, but she changed her tune after years of working with, with people in hospice and with the dying because there was such a high incidence of dying people having visitations from people who were already dead. And, it, and of them seeing people uh, I mean, and not just things like, oh, they're imagining them. I mean, I, I, I witnessed something myself when my grandfather passed away. He, he was at home. He had hospice care for several weeks as he was going. He, he went out pretty well, uh, all things considered. He kind of got to say goodbye to everybody. His sister passed away just a week before he did. But by that time, he was already so far gone and in and out of consciousness that we didn't tell him. Mm -hmm. um, and he kind of came out of uh, a sleep one afternoon and looked at all of us and then looked in the corner and said when did jenny get here uh, and all of us just thought oh my god we, none of us had told him that she had died and she'd only died a few days before and all that so but that kind of thing happened a lot that elizabeth kubler ross herself so saw but it she's it, it kind of ruined her reputation because she wanted to kind of change the conversation uh further about our relationship to death and talk about the spiritual side of it and then she was you know the medical community almost were like no nah, no nah, you got this far shut up it's weird now you're getting all right. hippy dippy on us which and is so, so funny to me because so if you talk to the medical community you know nurses people who who work at hospitals there are countless stories yes. of spiritual yes situations there and just because science can't explain it does not mean it's not real and so it's interesting to me that they, you know, of course she's going to get rejected because she believes in something different, mm -hmm. but kudos to her for changing and, and for yeah. giving us something yeah. else to think about. She was a hero in my book, as were right. the colleagues. And, and to keep people from being there. so lonely mm -hmm. along the lines of Yes, lonely, I, that though. does. This kind of elides really nicely into our next submission. Patient One is the name of the story that was sent to us by Jenny Brass. The clock ticks. I sit with my paws so perfect, lined up to my little toes. 
My tail is wrapped lightly around me, with the ball snugged up right in front of my paws. I watched little Joy's chest rise and fall beneath the blanket. Cadence will change before she wakes. I know it will. It always does. Up and down her hand rides with each breath, steady as the tick of a clock in the living room. When she rises, I'll be ready. I have my ball. The ball we play with in the field. The ball she throws and I bring back, nosing it into her hand until she tires. And she rubs her fingers, caked in my slobber through my fur, and ruffles my ears. We smell like each other. We laugh and roll in the grass, kicking up the dandelion fluff and chasing it on the wind. Outside, fun awaits. Thousands of fluffy things waiting to be scattered by our wild play. I sigh. I hate waiting. But Mama told me never to wake a sleeping person. I shuffle my front paws down and rest my head on them. The ball touches my nose. The fuzz tickles me and I sneeze. Oh no. Joy does not stir. I glance at the drawn window shade outlined in faint light. The sun rises. The day won't wait, but I will. As long as it takes. I thump my tail. Soon, soon Joy will wake up. We will go outside and I will show her the dragonflies on the pond. We'll chase the tadpoles in the shallows. It's been days since we've done that. Oh, and the birds. She likes the birdies. I found a nest I have to show her with little tiny ones peeping so loud my ears hurt. I will tolerate that to see her gat-tooth smile. Sweet little Joy. I tap the ball with my paw. It tips forward and then back. It is an old ball that smells and tastes funny. I'm not sure what it rolled in, but it isn't pleasant. A bit like the dark stuff that got on my fur when I crawled under the family car once. That stuff tastes disgusting, and that bath was the longest I'd ever had. When I get to the pond with her, I should wash the ball off, make it clean again. Then we can play. Her breathing changes. I lift my head. Yes, it's not just me. I sit up, fixing my paws perfect again. Even though she can't see me, I cock my head so my ear falls almost in my eye. She usually laughs when I do that. My tail wags. I can't stop it. The motion lifts my butt off the ground. I take a few steps. No, the ball. I mustn't forget the ball. I always bring the ball back like a good dog, no matter what tries to intervene. I snatch it up and wince at the icky taste. I can fix that. As soon as we go outside, everything will be normal again. Faster and faster my tail wags in response to her short breaths. Soon now. Daylight reaches her from the window. The altered breathing draws me nearer to her bedside. I stand, waiting. She lies still. A sound like an alarm clock tone goes steady. Funny, that beeping annoyed me at first. I only noticed it again when it changed. Her eyes flutter. Then, they open. Joy smiles, exposing her missing front teeth. Her hair is its usual mess. She throws back the blanket. The air smells funny, like my legs smelled that time I got bit by the neighbor's cat, but I don't mind. I probably smell too. Ruby, she giggles, throwing her arms around me and squeezing. I never want to leave that embrace again. But she pulls back and holds out her hand. Ball? Play ball? I drop the ball and prance around the room toward the door. She toddles to her feet and tugs down her favorite t-shirt with a dog on it. Her finger touches it, and she points at me. Doggy. 
I wag my tail. Come on, Joy, I have so much to show you. You have no idea what you've missed while you've been sleeping these last few days. She picks up the ball and places a hand on my flank. The alarm drones on. I wriggle my ears, eager to leave the irritation behind. Joy turns and stares at the bed. Her brow wrinkles. The door opens behind us. Strangers rush in and fuss over the small figure in the bed. I never understood why Joy slept here. This wasn't her bedroom. It didn't matter, since she'd been brought here. They'd never noticed me anyway. I'd lingered here in this doorway three sunrises in a row, waiting for Joy to wake up, and they always walked through me. Joy reaches out for a moment toward the strange people. They cease their fussing over the figure in the bed and bow their heads. One shuts off the annoying alarm. I nuzzle Joy's hand. Come on, who cares what they're doing? They passed right by us anyway. You're awake now, with me. Let's go play. She hugs me tight and grins. Ruby, good doggy. I'll never leave your side again, Joy. I bound out the door and down the hall with my favorite little girl in tow. It'll be different today. No big loud cars to stop our fun. I'll never forget the sound of that horn blaring in my ear, the screech it made as it slid across the pavement, the bad, scary car that made my joy scream. Never again. We can resume our game. Nothing will interrupt us again. Pause for weeping. I want to cry. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. So and it's about a dog. It is this Dude, story. That's the, that's the that's the fastest way to my heart. Is I know, a dog. <laughs> I know. Uh, this story, Jenny. When we read it, we knew we had to do this episode mm-hmm. where we read mm-hmm. other people's written stuff because yeah. it's so good. <laughs> it's, it's so good. good. It's it's damn near perfect. I think it's just everything. Like ah. Oh. Just all told through the perspective of a dog. I love, I love dogs. We both love dogs. Clearly, we love dogs. I love cats too. That comes up a lot. I don't think one has to choose. Our friend Brina Palencia is fond of saying that, you know, she loves cats and dogs. And people that say, oh, you know, like, dogs are like people and cats are just like, you know, cold and whatever. And she's like, that's bullshit. Cats are like people. <laughs> they have attitudes. They're 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 cold. They, they don't give a shit. They're selfish. Dogs are perfect little fucking angels. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes they don't make the best decisions, but oh my god, it's all they're innocence. Just, they're all they're just innocence and joy. And I love how a dog. I love their loyalty. Mm-hmm. I love how. I'm also not allergic to dogs. I love cats. I grew up with cats, but mm-hmm. I'm allergic to them, mm-hmm. so I can't have them anymore. That does not mean I will not pet one. If it jumps in my lap because it knows I'm allergic. Yeah. (laughs) Like happens without fail. But, uh, you know, I love all animals, but I just happen to be allergic to cats, which is sad. Also, one of my dogs is allergic to cats. Oh, wow. I've never heard of a dog being allergic to cats. Well, we had to get her tested because she has tons of allergies. Poor thing. Yeah. Trees. But she's a good dog. She is. She's (laughs) She's such a good dog. She is a very good dog. Oh. Yeah, that's a, that's another thing we were this talking about. This one gives about. you feelings. It does give me feelings, which I like, because not all ghost stories have to be frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to tell ghost stories that are that are heartbreaking, mm-hmm. or or that um, have a combination. Have a combination of like, oh, you know, there's nothing scary about. It. There's, I mean, the idea of running into a ghost dog, I think, is pretty pleasant, as long as it's not like a hellhound. I had a or ghost something. dog growing up. Did you? Yes. Really? Oh my gosh! I can't believe I haven't told oh you God. this before. Tell. It was um, before Jean-Luc was born. He was born when I was 11. So I was probably eight-ish, I would imagine. 
and we grew up with great things <laughs> mm. and this was her name was nikki and she was a brindle and uh we would lay on her my older brother and i when we'd watch tv when I was real little, I'd ride her like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's they're basically Great Danes are basically they're just, giant. They're one like they're one order of magnitude, just shy of a horse. Yeah, and we are short people in my family. So she was <laughs> very tall, and um, she ended up getting hit by a car, and it was it was hard. Uh, but the entire time we lived in that house, I would hear scratching at the door or her her tags on her collar jingly and um, just I would hear it a lot and I never really said anything but one morning I woke up and it was like a Saturday morning and I'd come out and I was gonna watch cartoons and I heard her scratching at the door to be let in so I went to open the door and she wasn't there and I remembered that she had died and it made me very sad and I started to cry so I sat on the couch crying and my parents came in and they wanted to know what was wrong and I told them that I had heard her at the door and then I remembered that she was dead and it was made me sad and that's when they brought up that they had each been hearing her around the house as well and it turned out everybody had heard her but nobody said anything about it and we heard her until we moved out of that house every time i've had a pet dog or cat because uh, i've had a lot of both whenever they pass on or or whatever you know sometimes they just they just you know like i've moved before and had to just give a cat or a dog to a friend and then that dog you know just because i couldn't take them to where i was moving um they are so with me still like i still mm -hmm. um you know I, you look around and just i'm so used to seeing them in the corner of my eye or to like know that i just instinctively have to watch for them as i'm walking down the stairs so that i don't trip over them or something and it, they it's really hard to get used to not having one around it's also you don't really hard one. to get used to not blaming sounds in your house on them <laughs> that's a that's a that alone is reason enough to have a pet Right. Can excuse <laughs> I had it's really funny a quick story that I'd forgotten about but when I was a kid we didn't um, we, my mom brought home a stray cat once upon a time and uh, just for a few days like a week or so to, to kind of nurse it uh, to health and get it uh, it, was like, it, was, it was kind of starving so we were trying to feed it and then we found we were t intended to find a home, more permanent home for it we had too many dogs to have a cat but at some point I had a dream one night while we had this cat that I was walking down this path in the forest and it was actually near our house but in the dream it was much bigger and more ominous than it was in real life and i saw uh, like a couple of cats carrying a dead cat between them like by the scruff of the neck and it was weird and at some point in the dream one of the cats like let go and talked to me and said hey right. tell Ginny she can come home now you know old man hawkins is dead and um and i thought okay that's weird and i woke up to that dream and and or woke up from that dream thing and that was the weirdest it was an unusually vivid but i just thought okay weird dream and obviously i'm just thinking about cats because we have a cat now in the house and a couple days later um i told that story to my family about that and the cat went missing we never found where that cat went ever the cat home. was gone yeah and apparently yeah that cat and your great aunt mm -hmm. shared a name mm -hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> I never thought there's a lot of Jennies though. It's true. A lot of Jennies, a lot of Michaels, it's a lot an of Johns. Interesting name for a cat. Yeah, 
Uh, well, that wasn't the name we gave her. We didn't call the cat that. We called the no, cat, cat the... Mittens or something. But in the dream, I guess, the, the cats were like, that's her real name, whatever. Her what's, real name's Jenny. What's interesting about that is, and I don't, I didn't find this out until much later, but that, that story, uh, that what I experienced when I dreamed, there's a story very similar to that in Irish folklore, where, like, the king of cats is being, like, people will, uh, there's a story, I'm, I'm kind of, the details are hazy. Uh, and who knows, maybe I read it before and didn't remember it and then had this dream about our cat. But it was like in the in the story, travelers would see this ghostly procession of cats carrying a casket with like the king of cats inside of it. And that was kind of a weird, frequent thing. The dogs really like the conversation of cats. <laughs> the cats are really triggering them. They are. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, they're going crazy out there playing. They they're really playing. are. They're, pl they're playing. They're very playful. They're carrying a pretend casket. Because my dog is over here now, too. Yes. And, uh, those are his cousins. Um, so that was a great story. Thank you so much yes. for that. I love that story. You, it was so you, sweet, and I love dogs. I could talk about dogs, and how they're just perfect little angels all day. We will for the rest of the day. But in the meantime, that is all for today's episode yes. of Cruel Intentions. <laughs> yeah, the do Thank our dogs you. are certainly ready for us to quit. I know they're they've held out as long as they can. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget this Wednesday we will be live streaming a Q and A about today's episode on Twitch where you can find us at Ghoul Intentions. That's right. Go to ghoulintentions.com for links to our social media sites, our blog, previous episodes, and most importantly, where you can submit your own personal supernatural experience for consideration to be read on a future episode of Ghoul Intentions. Thanks again to all our submitters. You guys really keep them coming. The stories are so great. We're going to have to do this show for years just to get to all the submissions we've already had. <laughs> but keep on submitting. Yes. Don't stop. All right. So what's our sign-off quote today that I have to guess, okay. Jamie? It is okay. from a film Okay. that's based on a novel. Okay. A lot of films based on a novel, so well, that doesn't really narrow it down. Well, I try to help but, you. Okay. I try to help you <laughs> because I feel like if you haven't seen the movie, maybe you've read the book. Fair. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's trip the light fantastic, baby. Just you and me. I know I'm going to know it when you say it, but okay, I Okay, okay. I have another quote from it that might help you. Okay. This is, like, right. this is like phone a friend. No, I just I was like, oh, both of these are good. I don't know which one to use. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, the second one is, if there's anything around here more important than my ego, I want it caught and shot now. <laughs> is it from Night at the Roxbury? No. Damn it. No. Doesn't it seem like it ought to be? It's from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know, I've never seen that what? movie. I've never I've read the book, of course, well, yeah, but I've never I'd forgotten I was I was in movie mode. I was like, I've Rockwell never seen the movie. Zephod. Ah, Zephod Beeblebrox. He's so good. If you He's so good. Well, Sam Rock <laughs> is just This good. is one of my favorite Sam roles he's ever good. done. Oh my god. Basically. That's awesome. He's really good. <laughs> Ah. So good. Okay, well, that's it. Thank you guys. Woo.